You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. And along with co-host Joe Koss, they break down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering The Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to The Conservative Conscience. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz. In the house here at CR, Monday, May twenty first, and I'm I'm ready for vacation. I need I need a day off for Memorial Day, and just like last week, when it was only a Monday, and I'm already uh haggard with uh sapped of my energy. Same case this week. I'm becoming more and more disenchanted with the so called conservative movement where we stand for nothing other than being not the media, not the Democrats, when ironically, we wind up joining the media and the Democrats in their preferred policy outcomes. Because it's all about the red team versus the blue team. Even when the red team adopts the blue team's mantras and policies. Now, you know, before we talk about our main topic here, the foreign policy betrayal, the real scandal which is Trump's leftward lurch on Islam, on foreign policy. Everyone's focused on Comey and the Russia Intel leak and, you know, special counsel, Rosenstein's testimony, Comey's testimony, the whole, the whole Russia election, you know, collusion or, or lack thereof. The real scandal here is the, is the policy betrayal. <laughs> That, you know, we people voted for a certain outcome and out popped literally the diametrically opposed outcome. I don't just mean, you know, not conservative. Oh, Daniel, I don't tell me Trump's a conservative. He never was. So don't be feel betrayed. No, no, no. I mean, they said, we're sick of the globalists and the swamp and the elitists. And this man adopts the very America last globalist mentality on Turkey, on Saudi Arabia, on the Muslim Brotherhood, you name it. This is an utter betrayal. But before we get to that, I want to set the table here. You know, in our intro music here, we talk about half-truths tr- half and, and hot air. And I have never seen a time when there is so much hot air, when not just the Democrats and the media, but the conservative media is all focused on hot air. Look at the smoke. Look at the magician. Pay no attention to the policy betrayals behind that curtain. That's what they, they, they have us look at smoke. And I'm going to give you an example of this on a domestic policy level that we're going to see this week and then extrapolate this for the remainder of our discussion on foreign policy, what, what, what no one focuses on. The entire focus of the news cycle is wrong. And rather than conservatives focusing affirmatively on what we believe and what we think are important and what's problematic and what we should be doing, what we should be doing about the courts. By the way, there's a lot of problems with the courts now. Tons of problems. I hope to get to. If not, we'll we'll deal with this next week. But I'll have a piece coming out on this. The Supreme Court is destroying us. The lower courts are destroying us. The Gorsuch pick doesn't matter. I mean, he he obviously hasn't uh, given opinions yet, but it's not going to change things. It's not his fault necessarily. It's just like I said, the courts are ir- irremediably broken. That's the subject of my book, Stolen Sovereignty. Yet nobody is speaking to this stuff. So on domestic policy, the big issue this week is that. Trump is going to release, you know, his director of OMB, 
McMulvaney is going to release the fiscal year 2018 budget blueprint. In other words, this is the budget blueprint that's supposed to go into into effect come October 1st of this year. That's when FY 2018 begins. Now, you know, this comes from the original budget act almost 100 years ago passed by Congress when obviously Congress is the one that constitutionally sets the budget, passes it, the president just has the ability to sign or veto it. He doesn't craft the budget, but the Budget Act requires the president to submit a budget to Congress. It's more ceremonial, but just as, you know, kind of direction. You know, you run the executive branch, tell us what you need, and then we'll we'll decide what we what we want to affirm and what we want to deny, and you could decide whether you or not you want to veto it. So normally this plays out earlier in the year, obviously, because of a lot of things, you know, and we were still fighting the FY 2017 budget. So it's it's delayed by a month or two. But next, you know, May, May 22nd, that's when the release is coming out. There's already leaked reports about it that it's pretty it's pretty darn good. You know, balances within 10 years, uh, prioritizes defense and security and, and border security funding and, and cuts a. Uh, Entitlements and welfare, certain subsidies. Man, Daniel, isn't this a fulfillment? You know, don't just criticize Trump. This is this is awesome stuff. Well, here's the problem with that: the smoke, the optics, the campaign rhetoric, versus the discernible policy outcomes. I've been saying this before. I've said this a couple of times, and it's all coming to to play now with the foreign policy betrayals, but I'll first talk about this budget bill. When it doesn't matter, when it's a rhetoric, when it's a document, he'll do good things. This is why most people supported him on the right. But then when the rubber meets the road, when you confront the point of contention, the leverage point that will determine the outcome, they're nowhere to be seen. So we just went through this a couple weeks ago. Mick Mulvaney, when he got in there a couple months ago, released what their priorities were for FY 2017, the, this year, for the remainder of the year, what he wanted to be, you know, the budget to look like for the next six months. And it was a pretty good budget. And I took to my column and I praised it. Then they did nothing to fight for it. And when the budget deadline came due, when the, the point of contention came came due, he did nothing to lift a finger to fight for his priorities. He was too busy fighting conservatives on betraying his health care promise. And then you had the biggest budget betrayal in American history. What I mean by that is the first time ever that a party controlled all three branches and allowed the other side to win on the border funding, on military spending, on um, obviously funding Planned Parenthood. And then on the very programs that the Mulvaney budget cut, Schumer humiliated them and increased spending, and they went along with it. Now we're told that Reince Priebus convinced Trump, you know, uh, and actually got John Boehner to to uh, pressure him. What leverage does he have to, to go and sign it and not veto this bill? So Trump signed it. <laughs> you know, we, we kind of forget about that. The last two weeks of scandals, and we're going to talk about the foreign policy betrayals now, but we've, that, that budget betrayal was a colossal betrayal and very telling. But you know what? That wasn't the first time. We've been doing this a dozen times since Republicans took over the House. There's nothing new. At the beginning of the budget season, when it's just a document and it doesn't matter, and you're several months away from the point of contention, 
Paul Ryan introduced as, as the budget committee chairman, he always introduced a generally decent budget. Here's the thing. They never had any intention of fighting for it when it mattered in September. It's happened every year, year in, year out. And finally, I was like, I'm not going to write a column praising this when I know it's a joke. So Trump came in. Maybe he's going to change the attitude. No, he did the same thing. So now, like Charlie Brown, the football again, tomorrow they're going to have this, oh, this big budget. And look, I might write about answering the Democrats and, you know, just the budgets and ends to itself if it was actually enacted, why it's good policy and why they're wrong. But, dude, until I sit and give Trump props for it, the default position is betrayal until we see otherwise. You know, we gave, we, we, we gave him the benefit of the doubt the first time, and he betrayed us. This is what I mean, but we, we focus on whatever's in the news that day, but we don't look at the actual, and, and I'm going to keep quoting this from the ACLU, what they said about Trump's religious liberty order. They prayed to Jesus, they had the music, they had the ceremony, and then the the deal was nothing. His religious liberty order was nothing. And in fact, you know, his, his uh, DOJ is still defending the contraception mandate and is still enacting Trump's, uh, Obama's ban against contractors that don't have transgender bathrooms in their corporate headquarters. And the ACLU said at the time, we're not doing anything. We're not going to have a lawsuit because there's, it's one giant photo op with no discernible policy outcomes. So I want to see us winning with the discernible policy outcomes. Then I'll praise him for his rhetoric and his speeches. And that's a good segue. Oh, and before I segue, and by the way, we have that healthcare betrayal where Trump now is going to continue payments for the illegal Obamacare subsidies that Obama started without uh, appropriations. That the courts actually stopped. This was the one victory we won in the courts, and Trump's still defending it in the courts. But pay no attention to the policy betrayals behind the curtain. Let's focus on the rhetoric, the bluster, the media. So this is a great segue into the foreign policy. You know, you, 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 take, you have to take a broad look at the personnel who's making the decisions, the general direction of policy of this administration. Don't focus on one or two statements, speeches, photo ops, symbolism. Like I said, that stuff is only good when they reflect the policy outcome. But what we're seeing with Trump is that his rhetoric never results in that, in, in that policy outcome. It was, usually results in the opposite. So everyone's focusing on, man, he went to Saudi Arabia and he used the word Islamic terror. There was debate over whether he'd use it. Some drafts didn't have it. Man, that was a good speech. Well, every speech written by Stephen Miller is good. I like Stephen Miller. We, 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 we were buddies you know, before he joined Trump. Um, you know, we, we worked on a lot of issues together. He's good. Here's the problem. H.R. McMaster, Tillerson, Mattis, Dina Powell, Gary Cohn, Jared and Ivanka, they run the show. So, you know, Stephen Miller won out in some of the rhetoric, but the policies, it's like he goes to Saudi Arabia, kisses their rear end as his first trip, has a $360 billion arms deal with them. Just to give you some sense of uh, proportion, last September, they held this historic uh, arms deal they made with Israel of $38 billion. I mean, really, we, we would have bashed Obama for this. Sells out to the Saudis. Oh, but he gave a good speech. But look, look, what he, look at the a policy outcome. Oh, he's in Israel. He visited the Western Wall. 
Yeah. But his administration won't say that the Western Wall belongs to Israel, just like Obama. They're obsessed with, oh, Trump said today, I'm going to, this is, it's, it's the toughest deal, but we're going to make a deal. A deal for what? Peace. I want peace too. Tell the Muslims to stop, you know, killing Jews. Peace means throwing Jews out of Judea and Samaria. And, and, and by the way, this betray and, and that's the thing. There's be a lot of photo ops. Oh, he went to the Western Wall. Oh, Ivanka shed a tear at the Western Wall. Um, you know, all the Kabuki theater at the press conference. Of course, it's all going to look good. But what's the discernible policy outcome? He is continuing in the footsteps of the last three administrations. The very globalist swamp mentality of genuflecting before the Saudis, genuflecting before the PLO, pursuing the stupid Palestinian state. And, and this betrayal, and, and then again, the biggest betrayal of all, when he got up there at the APAC conference last year, he said, I will move the embassy. And now they're not doing it. No one even wants to talk about this. And, and what's worse than the betrayal itself is the silence of conservatives. You know, talk radio was a buzz for several days, not six years ago. You know, that's that's a eternity in, in politics. A few months ago, the last the closing days in January of the Obama administration, when Kerry and Obama were saying, oh, the Western Wall is not even part of Israel. Um, settlement growth has to be curved. You know, and, and conservative talk radio has spent days saying, wait a minute. This is a, this is abhorrent. Trump's following more or less the same path. Don't I mean you, you might come back, no, there's some differences. Well, gee, if that's the best, again, the soft bigotry of low expectations, it's pretty darn close. You know, when Tillerson, McMaster, and Spicer are very lawyerly with their words and very careful to say that well, the Western Wall belongs in Jerusalem. Well, the media's like, well, where's Jerusalem? Well, you know, I don't know. They will not say it belongs to Israel. What is so tragic is that this week is the 50th anniversary of the Six-Day War, of the liberation of Judea and Samaria. Obviously, to many in our audience, religious Christians and Jews, really patriotic Americans, why do we care so much about this? Well, you know, obviously, you want good versus evil to win out all the time. You want, I mean, we'd rather the Israelis own it than terrorists. But, you know, as Bible believers, this was a seminal moment in history where after 2,000 years, you know, Jews being, you know, persecuted, kicked out, 18 years after, or 20 or so years after the end of the Holocaust, when after trying to annihilate them in the 40s, the Arabs came back for more to try to destroy them again. And by the way, people forget the context here that they were playing for keeps. <laughs> you know, take it for granted. Oh, the Israelis are the tough ones. Occupation, occupation. The reality is, had they won, they would have liquidated all the Jews there. I mean, they were playing for keeps. This was the break moment. Had they had 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 God not performed the miracle there, it's not a matter of land. Um, they would have been liquidated again two decades after the Holocaust. God performed a miracle of biblical proportions. I mean, the stuff that went on there, and it was literally a Bible prophecy where God warns that, you know, you're going to be thrown out, but then the land's going to be desolate, your enemies aren't going to benefit from it. And the truth is, they never did. It was always a swampland. You know, Mark Twain said as late as the 1800s when he visited the area that the place was just just wretched and miserable. The minute the Jews come back, it's it's built up. 
And and that's when they liberated Judea and Samaria, Jerusalem. And they liberated, and, and I'm not going to go into, you know, the whole history. We have a full podcast on that 45 minutes. The, the I think it's called, I forget what episode, but um, the full history of the Palestinian hoax. But the important thing to remember there is that this was all supposed to be originally part of the Jewish state. They were ne- never able to actualize it because the Arabs didn't let them and tried to destroy them and tried to take, take back the other half. They were just winning back what was right, rightfully theirs. But this was a defensive war, international law. I mean, in history is precedent to all this. It is yours. It is yours. Right? We cannot forget that. You might give a political argument that you think they should give it up. It's stupid. It's, it's insane. You might give that political argument, but certainly legally can't say, oh, occupation. No, it's, it is theirs. Jordan illegally occupied it from 48 to 67. That everyone agrees to. Nobody recognized that. Um, and, you know, there's never been an Arab, quote unquote, Palestinian state there. So the, the notion that it belongs to them was illegally occupied by the Jordanians and Jordan is the Palestinian state. So for the Trump administration to adopt this nonsense on the 50th anniversary that they're celebrating that, I mean, dude, I'm sorry. that That's something we would have bashed Obama for. And, and this is the point. You might disagree or agree with me or think I'm being a little bit too harsh on Trump and whatever. But the thing you know with me is I am not going to say something different than I would have said with Obama. And if anything, I feel more of a need to because this is our banner. What do we believe in? You know, the only thing worse than having Obama's, you know, implement his policies is having liberal policies under our banner, as if that's what we believe in. We have all the more obligation as conservatives to speak up. And then you have the whole Turkey thing. Kissing up to Erdogan, the chief Islamo-Nazi, when, when his thugs beat up Americans on our own soil and we do nothing about it? And now it's funny, Erdogan feels so emboldened, he's going on offense. He called in the U.S. ambassador to Turkey back in Turkey and said, hey, what's up with you guys? You guys were mean to my uh, bodyguards. Because they know they can get away with it because they know Trump's in their back pocket. And I, I understand the media is yelping about this and how Trump is banned on Turkey's banned on Saudi Arabia. Ha, 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 the media is a bunch of hypocrites. They didn't care when Obama did it. I get that. But really, why do we have to be on defense on defense? being hit with something that is the antithesis of what we believe in and, frankly, the antithesis of what people voted for in Trump. Again, you might say he he wasn't conservative. People didn't view him as a traditional conservative, but they viewed him as America first, that he wouldn't kiss up to the Islamists. They're sick of Republican and Democrat presidents selling out to Saudi Arabia. I mean, that was core in his supporters. Trump will tell him to go to hell, and you look at a lot of his rhetoric. He he blamed them for 9-11, which is true. He lied. Complete betrayal. I don't get it. I can't relate to a movement that will defend, deny, ignore what's going on. I can't relate to these people anymore. You know, I'm on an email chain, like I tell you, with a lot of different leaders. And, you know, a friend of mine finally spoke out and uh, spoke in favor of my position. And she made a very important point to a lot of these conservative leaders. You're doing yourself and your allies in the administration no favor by being quiet, by denying, by ignoring, by treating Trump with kid gloves. And her point was, if you look at what happened during Reagan and Obama's administration with their respective bases, 
that's what allowed them to be pulled to the right, you know, with Reagan to the left with Obama, because the base would advocate and say, hey, you're betraying us. You're not. I mean, this is not going good. And then that way, the administration could get up there and act like they're moderate and saying, oh, this is the moderate position. And all the while, you're being pulled more to the left. I mean, that's what Obama's base did. If you remember, it was very prominent with immigration. Trump, uh, Obama would get up there and say, some people want full amnesty. Some people want to just throw them out. And I'm just the Goldilocks. And, you know, it was BS. Of course, it was plain amnesty. But, you know, that's what he did by referring to his base that way. And he, he was able to successfully frame a policy as moderate that was farther to the left. I consider myself in a position to advocate for conservatives. And that's what I'm always going to do. I'm going to always focus on when we're not getting what, what we should get. What we realistically should get and, and, and what's a betrayal. If we don't advocate for ourselves, who will? Jared, Ivanka, Dina Powell, Gary Cohen, H.R. McMaster, Tillerson, who's a complete doofus, by the way, which we, we were one of the first who warned about that. I mean, this is the problem here with, with, with the betrayal on foreign policy. And, and the thing about the betrayal on foreign policy is you can't blame that in a parliamentarian on the filibuster. Oh, well, that's Congress. That's, well, the filibuster. I mean, he has a way to make his mark on foreign policy unilaterally. Much to my chagrin, I mean, I, I believe, again, I believe the president has strong prerogative, but Congress has really advocated any duty on foreign policy. But in this case, Trump could take it and run with it. He's not. He's continuing more or less the same. And again, I don't want to get focused on Obama. I mean, this is Bush. This is the stuff we hated about Bush, especially his second term. You know, if, if you don't think it's exactly like Obama, which is kind of a straw man, like I say all the time, you know, if the litmus test is, are you better than Obama? I think we've already lost. I mean, if that's our expectation, but it's very much like Clinton in the second term of Bush with Israel, with Saudi Arabia, now with Turkey. Are you kidding me? And here's the thing. We're getting the lowest common denominator of all the doctrines, the worst aspects of it. So he's kissing up to Saudi Arabia, so you expect, okay, but then he's really tough on Iran. Well, Daniel, maybe he's giving them all these weapons as a deterrent to Iran. But he's certifying the Iran deal when they're breaking it. <laughs> While they're breaking the deal. So when you're when it's appropriate to deal directly with Iran and 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 confront them he doesn't but parsimoniously to be up against iran i'm going to kiss up to the saudis and do their bidding in yemen and syria for them while they're backing al-qaeda type of groups really is that what we're for that we're getting all the liabilities but none of the benefits and that's what, what it, this at its core is what it means to be America first. The Middle East is a tangled web of everyone hates us. That's the common denominator, except for Israel, obviously. But within them, you have all these groups that hate each other too. So rather than us getting involved in doing the bidding of any one of them, we do our bidding. We go up against Iran when it benefit, benefits us. We go up against Saudi Arabia when it benefits us. America last means... Not confronting Iran, but just being tough on them to the point that you're supporting the Saudis. Same thing with NATO. Trump trashes NATO. Now, if I had to ask you, what's the worst aspect of NATO? You'd say Turkey. The fact that Erdogan Islamo-Nazi is allowed to be in there without anyone making any concession, getting any concessions from it. They should use that leverage to threaten to remove him from NATO in order to 
at least pressure him to change. So Trump trashes NATO in general, but then kisses up to Erdogan. You tell, you tell me what's going on there. You know, he says he wants to put America first and doesn't want to get involved in the Middle East, the nation building, but he wants to create a new Palestinian state, the ultimate nation building, getting more involved in Syria and Afghanistan. And by the way, in Syria, like, you know, just, just to point to stupidity, a lot of people forget, everyone knows that there was a, the first airstrike, but there was another airstrike last week. You know that airstrike was against? A Shiite militia supported by Iran, not Hezbollah different one operating on the ground there in southeast uh, Syria. Now you might say, well, that's a great thing. Got rid of, you know, they're bad guys. He confronted Iran. Yeah, he confronted Iran in the prism of getting involved in the Syrian civil war. Oh, and by the way, at the same time, Trump, and again, he didn't start this, but he's continuing this, um, has our special ops supporting that very same Shiite militia that we attacked in Syria. We're supporting them in Iraq. To take back Mosul from ISIS. What the heck are we doing there? Now I'm going to have a lot more on this. Coming up when, in my Memorial Day piece. And maybe a, a special podcast on that. And just. What are we doing with our boys? Putting our, putting our soldiers in harm's way. For what? For this conflicting Islamic civil war. And then we, and then we allow the problem up front. In our, in our own home. And, and that's my bigger point. Oh, I'm going to join with the Saudis to fight Iran. I'm going to join with them to fight ISIS. ISIS, 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 ISIS. Let me tell you something. Erdogan, the Turkish regime, the Saudi regime, and the Muslim Brotherhood are a more severe, consequential, and foundational threat to our security than ISIS, or or Al-Qaeda for that matter. You know, in terms of ISIS, Al-Qaeda, militarily, they're never going to defeat us. The problem, the problem that we have, first and foremost, is the civilization and economic jihad. You know, at its core, national security and foreign policy, why, why, why does it matter? It's all about homeland security. Now, not to say we don't have strategic interests overseas, but certainly the most important thing, first and foremost, is protecting your homeland. So your people could live in your own home you know, peacefully. That's that's why we have, um, you know, a foreign policy and, and national security policy. You know, there are times when you have to defend certain prerogatives overseas, fine. But to send our troops overseas and nation-build in Afghanistan, nation-build in Iraq, nation-build in Syria and, and, and uh, Somalia and Libya, obsess about the creation of a Palestinian state, but then bring the problem on your shores to send our soldiers to die overseas for nothing and then bring the problem straight in. What are we doing? So what I mean by that is, A, immigration, which Trump tried to do something about. The courts got in his way, and then he refused to fight in the budget. So now I blame him for it. I make masters all for bringing in refugees. But then there's this subversion agenda, and that's where the Muslim Brotherhood and the Saudis and Erdogan come into play. So the, I've always said, said homeland security is a two-step problem. One is we bring in the problem through immigration with Muslim immigration in large numbers that can't assimilate. But then number two, why don't they assimilate? There's a number of reasons for that. But the second half is what radicalizes them on our shores? It's not ISIS. Stop it. <laughs> 
to the extent ISIS is a problem, it's not militarily in Syria. It's, you know, their, P, their PR, they're, you know, on the internet. But why is that a problem? Because we gratuitously brought in too many Islamists in our own country. You want to talk about boots on the ground? That's the problem with boots on the ground. We talk about our boots on their ground. Th- those are their boots on our ground. The hijra, the jihad through immigration. But why why is ISIS such a problem if they've only been around for a few years? We've had this growing problem, you know, at least since 1993 with the first World Trade Center bombings and the CIA uh, shooting outside of the Langley uh, CIA headquarters. A lot of people forget about that attack was also Muslim immigrants. You know, one one of them might have even been illegal. I forget offhand, but uh, that that that's what we bring in. But what radicalizes them over the last two, two, two decades or so, three decades? That is the Muslim Brotherhood, the Saudis, and more recently the Turkish government under Erdogan. By funding a subversion agenda in America. Funding that agenda in America. That's the problem. When Erdogan is allowed under Obama's administration to build the biggest mosque in America... The biggest mosque in America, Muslim Brotherhood Mosque, right outside the nation's capital. He's an enemy. Imagine Hitler or Mussolini during the war being allowed to fund some German or Italian cultural center in America. Oh, and then, by the way, when Italian Americans go and protest Mussolini coming to visit, which he never would have been allowed to, obviously, and his bodyguards beat up uh, you know, Italian Americans, then our government says nothing about it. Of course, we would have never said that. But that's the problem. You could go overseas all you want. But if you bring the problem to your shores, the Saudis fund the universities. They fund the mosques as well as the Turks. And then the whole Muslim Brotherhood, you know, their operation at home, what they do. If you don't go after them, you're not dealing with the problem. They spread their poison in our country. So, you know, everyone's talking about, oh, what a genius Trump stimulus. Now he he got Saudi Arabia to invest in sixty billion dollars worth of infrastructure projects in America. Is that a good thing? Think beyond economics for a minute. For a minute, we're not just a you know a, a, an economy with economic bean counting. We're we're a nation. We really want them doing. And that's how they have influence. And by the way, that's how they have influence over Trump. And over every president, like the Bushes and, and the Clintons and the and the Obamas. They they, they own a, a floor on Trump Tower. They now bought out the, the largest refinery in America. This is the problem, and th- this is a hundred zero issue. Everyone, Democrats or your average person recognizes this problem. This this at its core, you want to talk about those Reagan Democrats um in the Midwest that voted for uh Trump. This at its core is that America issue, that America first. You know, we talk about buy America, which is as an ends to itself in an extreme way a dumb trade policy, dumb economically. But when it comes to national security, oh, let the Saudis buy us out. Oh, yeah, make America great again. Make Saudi Arabia great again. Really? You, you just destroyed yourself. You know, that's the Muslim Brotherhood's motto. Destroy the infidel by their own miserable hands, use their own culture, their own economy, their own society against them. You know, in the coming days, I'm going to be promoting Dave Bratt, our buddy from Virginia, has a bill that would that would address some of this. It would bar 
foreign governments from funding religion in this country when they themselves don't have freedom of religion. Very simple. And again, if you're if you're living if you're an American, you know, Muslim, look, if as long as you if you uh, abide by the local zoning laws, I mean, you have the right to build a mosque. But a foreign government does not have an affirmative right of freedom of religion in our country to to fund things. That that's a sovereignty issue, that's a cross-border thing and that could be we could put a stop to that. That, that that's the front line of the war on terrorism, which is a misnomer because terrorism is a tactic. It's jihad. It's Islamic jihad. Sharia-based Islamic supremacism is fueling jihad or people that are sympathetic to it in our own country. It's not about engaging in Yemen and, and Syria and Iraq and Afghanistan. And certainly if at the same time we're going to allow Saudi, the Saudis to buy us out. By the way, at a time when, because of the fracking revolution, screw them. We don't need them. What are we doing? I thought, I thought this is what we all believed in. This is what we said under the o- Obama's administration. Cat got her tongue because you have an alleged Republican in the White House. Man, there's so much more to talk about. Tillerson betrayals. He he apologized to Mexico. By the way, a lot of people didn't pay attention to this. He said, "Oh, your organized crime and violence problem is all because of us and our drug demand. You'd be a great country if not for us." A lot of people forgot about that comment. I'll I'll link to it in the show notes because we don't have time to get to it. But folks, this is what we've become. If we're nothing but but the Democrats, but the Democrats, when ironically we're we're becoming like the Democrats. This is not what I signed up for when I decided to do this for a living. It, it just it burns me up. I mean, I mean, you want to talk about it's funny, you look at a lot of these kind of figures that supported Trump over Cruz in the primary. Heidi Cruz, Goldman Sachs, uh, globalists, you know, Bilderbergers. I don't know what goes on at the Bilderbergers, but to the extent there's a meeting that controls the world, guess what? The guys running the Trump White House are the ones chairing that meeting. <laughs> I mean, Gary Cohn, a.k.a. Goldman Sachs, runs domestic policy. Dina Powell, a.k.a. Goldman Sachs, runs foreign policy. They're all bought out by the Saudis. I, I mean, it's, it's pathetic. Orwell could not have written a better story. This makes Animal Farm look like nothing. It's the very elements for which he was elected and people said he'd be great on within the first you know, few months he sells us out and everyone's fine with it. And it's stupid if you're fine with it. Because, again, the, the one good thing about Trump is he is sensitive to conservative criticism. You know, believe me, if Rush and Sean and, and, and these guys and Laura Ingram would, would get up there for a number of days and just say what I'm saying, I actually, to Trump's credit, I think he'd change a little bit. Maybe he'd get rid of some of these folks. But if you don't complain about it, he's not going to do it. He's just going to hear... You know, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. He's going to hear from the left. He's going to hear from the media, and he's going to employ the Nixonian strategy and try to kiss up to them. And again, just because the media is hypocritical on Turkey and Saudi Arabia doesn't make it right what Trump's doing. Let me end with this. Let me tell you what I'm going to do. Our friends and allies in this so-called movement are obsessed with the Democrats, Meaning we're a bunch of betas. We have no cojones. We have no uh, fortitude. We have no intellect other than 
whatever the Democrats are and the media are saying, I'm going to be against. But we don't know what we stand for. So it's, well, the Democrats did it. So anytime Trump does something, it's going to be, well, the Democrats did it and the media didn't care. So therefore, Trump could do it and we won't care. I look at things a little different. I look at things more on us. The onus is on us. You know, my, my religion values self-reproachment. And, and it's about us doing the right thing. It's about us doing the right thing and keeping our dignity. So my litmus test is the exact opposite. My litmus test is if Obama were doing the same thing, or indeed Obama did do the same thing, what would I be saying about Obama or what did I say in the past about Obama? <laughs> See, I'm more worried about as an absolute on an absolute scale, not relative to the Democrats or the media, what we care about. That, that's what I look about. These are my values. This is the basic expectation. This is what should happen. Is this what Trump's doing? How far away is it? I don't need any but the media but the Democrats. What I'm saying is to the extent you're going to use them as a litmus test, the more valuable contrast or comparison to the Democrats would be what would we be saying if the Democrats were doing the same thing? And if the answer is we'd be savaging them, you should savage this man even more. A, because... He might listen to you, you know, that Obama would never, doesn't care what conservatives think. So to Trump's credit, he might care what we think. So actually raise your voice. And B, the only thing worse than having Obama's policies actualized is having them actualized under our banner. That is unacceptable if we actually care and believe in what we say we believe in. Grim thoughts, indeed, but... I will speak the truth, and we're going to continue speaking the truth throughout the week. Very busy on the courts. I didn't get to it. Look for articles. Anyway, before I forget, just a plug for CRTV. Mark Levin's going to be reporting from Israel. This is actually his first trip. Um, I believe his first trip. How appropriate. So you guys definitely want to get your CRTV subscription for him, for Steve Days, for Crowder, many others, Malkin. Um, issue promo code Horowitz, H-O-R-O-W-I-T-Z, long name there, and you will get $10 off your subscription. Also, come join us. You know, I am I am in need of a vacation big time. So come join our friends at the Freedom Fest. This is going to be the largest gathering of free minds, liberty minds, um, bringing together anyone who cares about liberty to spend three days of learning, sharing, networking, looking forward. What do we do? What do we do from here? I'm sure that's going to be on the minds of many celebrating this 10th anniversary of the Freedom Fest, July 19th to the 22nd. Um, where is it? It's at the Parrot Resort in Vegas. So uh, register today using promo code CRTV100. CRTV100, you get $100 off the Regular registration rates, go to www.freedomfest.com or call 855-850-3733. Hope to see you guys there. We'll see you next time in a couple days. God bless and thank you for listening to Conservative Conscience. Conservative Conscience.